Hello and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. Courtney Burris practices as an assistant district attorney for the city and county of San Francisco. She has prosecuted every type of crime from misdemeanors to serious violent felonies. She is currently assigned to the homicide unit. She has served as a community liaison officer, trained police in the handling of domestic violence cases, and trained victim advocates in Albania. She sits on the board of the Charles Houston Bar Association and is a board member of the Bay Area Black Prosecutors Association. She grew up promoting civil rights working in the nationally famous law offices of John Burris. Courtney Burris, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to have you, and it's an honor that you're on with me. Having someone from the San Francisco District Attorney's Office is, I think, a first for the podcast. Yeah. So you are in the San Francisco County District Attorney's Office, and where is that located? We are located in the dilapidated building of 850 Bryant Street, right near the right near the bridge. But it is it used to be the hubbub where all of the different county organizations used to be. Since then, it's kind of thinned out a little bit. But we're over on Bryant Street, right in the heart of um, South of Market area. Yeah, they keep threatening to tear that place down, don't they? Oh, yeah. They keep promising it. They've been <laughs> promising the same thing for the past eight years. Right. <laughs> When I first started doing criminal defense, I would go over to that building and have a cup of coffee in the basement cafeteria. I don't even know if it's still open anymore, but I used to feel like Sam Spade down there because it looked like the 1930s. I've heard of this infamous basement cafeteria. What sort of assignment do you have right now? I'm currently assigned to the homicide division, and I actually just recently was promoted to that particular unit back in December of this past year. Prior to that, I had spent um, close to two years in the child assault, sex assault um, unit. And then immediately before then, I had the what we called the high lethality grant in the domestic violence unit, which where I'd been for several years prior. Where are you from originally? I'm from Oakland, California. And where'd you go to high school? In Oakland? Bishop O'Dowd, actually. I I just had the pleasure of going back to campus last week to visit and see that, just like you described this building, it hasn't changed since the 50s, (laughs) apparently. What sort of activities did you participate in when you were in high school? Ah, well, I started in acting because, believe it or not, I actually um, wanted at first to pursue a career in acting. So I took a lot of classes in the drama department. But because you really, it was one of those schools, quintessential high schools, where there were a lot of different things that you could get into. But if you were in drama, that meant you had to be hardcore drama all the time. And I wanted the more diverse, you know, the kind of funner, broader range of high school activities. So I uh, did cheerleading when I first started. Back then, they were 
were, it was a Catholic high school, so they were very conservative. They wouldn't really let us do a whole lot. And so I got out of that early on and um, decided that I wanted to take on a more competitive track and literally ran track. So I was on the track and field team for a couple of years. I ran the 100 and the 200. I was anchor in the four by one. And, you know, it was actually, it was actually pretty good, but Bishop O'Dowd is just so, they excel so highly in sports that at some point I was a bit outmatched, but I was, but I, I hung, I hung in there as, hung in there as long as I could. All of those things sound like great preparation for being a trial attorney. Definitely. It's, it's not that you're acting in terms of, you know, being a fake person or being disingenuous, but, but what acting teaches you is, you know, how to use your body and how to use your voice in a way that is intentional and in conveying a message. When you graduated from O'Dowd, where'd you go to college? I started at Cal State Northridge, CSUN, down in Southern California area, and I stayed there for about three years and transferred to UC Santa Barbara. And while I was there, I majored in psychology because that was a field that I was consider considering as a, as a potential c- career path if I didn't ultimately um, go forward with law. Now, you eventually went to law school. Did you take any time off between college and law school or did you go directly? Well, that wasn't quite my choice. So I graduated from college in uh, 2008. And as you know, that's, you know, when the big recession hit and I had assumed that I was going to go, you know, immediately into law school. I had taken the LSAT and I didn't apply to enough schools, (laughs) you know, so I, second time around, I I want to say I played the law of large numbers, but, you know, from a strategic standpoint and, you know, ultimately I got my, my two highest choices were USF School of Law. I was really looking to get back to the Bay Area and, and that was one that was offering a nice scholarship opportunity uh, between that or Tulane School of Law, which was also offering a scholarship. But I just couldn't wrap my head around moving to the deep south. I just couldn't I just couldn't do it. I'm too much of a California girl through and through. You know, I got into Tulane Law as well, and I yeah. gave some consideration to going there, and I couldn't quite wrap my head around going to the Deep South either. When did you first start thinking about being a lawyer? Oh, very, very early on in my in my formative years. As you, you stated earlier, I grew up essentially in a law household. My father is a well-known civil rights attorney. How much time went by between the time you went from college to law school? Was it a year or two years? Two years. What did you do it, during that interim time? Well, at first I had clerked at a, at a law firm, a boutique business litigation firm. And that was, it, it was interesting just to see a, a completely different you know, side of law that was removed from social justice and victim rights advocacy. And I'm glad I had that experience, but it kind of solidified for me that that was really wasn't the pathway that I wanted to take with law. Do you think having that time off between college and law school really kind of helped you focus once you got to law school? Definitely. Definitely. What was your path from USF to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office? Yeah. So... You kind of have to, you know, backtrack a little bit into, you know, why I chose prosecution. Why did you choose prosecution? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, because, well, so, so like I said, I 
I knew early that I wanted my career to be working with and advocating for victims of the violence of discrimination and crime. But I was also raised in an era, you know, during the 90s and during the 80s where, where you know, we're, this is the court TV era. This is, this is the time when a lot of cases, the most highly publicized cases um, that were very prominently displayed in the media and that I, you know, saw a lot in either the news or in documentaries, you know, these were cases that really showcase the intersection between what it's like to be a black and brown person when you come into contact with the criminal justice system. You know, I was raised with, you know, following Rodney King era, the O.J. Simpson case, how polarizing that was. I watched a lot of American Justice. I watched a lot of Cold Case Files. That was a show that came out, you know, that where DNA was just starting to develop. And you would see all these cases where there were, you know, African-Americans, brown people who were exonerated for cases where they had been, you know, demonized and villainized and ultimately incarcerated back then. And so I became very interested early on in, in, in understanding how the system values a black life and how too often you would see from a victim standpoint that their black and brown people's victimhood is not regarded as necessary to protect at the highest level, at the same level as perhaps their other counterparts. And so to the extent that I can be lead by example and let people see that there are African-Americans who not only care about their community, but also care about accountability and wanting to, again, protect the community. And what I really appreciated about prosecution is the um, exercise the discretion, the discretion that you have. You know, not only am I making sure that victims of all colors are treated with dignity and respect and um, held with the highest regard, but on the other hand, equally as important is me making sure that whoever comes across in the system as the accused are treated, again, equally and with the fairness that the Constitution demands. So, And what was the original question? <laughs> well, the question was, okay, so you had a sense that prosecution might be a good career move, something that you were interested in. So how did you get from USF to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office? Yeah, so I had initially decided that I wanted a more neutral experience. So I clerked for um, Judge Brenda Harbin-Forte. She is um, this fantastic Superior Court judge um, out of Alameda County. She's one of my mentors. And I wanted that experience outside of criminal law first, just because I, I think it's important to clerk for a judge if you're able to, just to learn you know, how they think you know, and what they're looking for when they're evaluating the merits of each side. Understanding that each person that comes into the system, they have a story, you know, that they're, they're not just defendants. These are people who have lives who, for one way or another, something went away for them and they ended up here as, a, as an accused person. And so, so, so yes. how did you get into the DA's office? 
How did I get into the DA's office? Yeah. Well, I went into the San Mateo County DA's office as a law clerk back in 2012. And then San Francisco almost actually didn't happen for me because I had been, I applied for their post-bar program. So, you know, the program while you're waiting for your bar results. And I kept getting a call from this block number and I don't pick up block numbers, you know, ever. And so something had told me, you know, after several weeks of getting this block number to finally pick up the phone, and I did, and it was Lisa Ortiz, who used to be with the office, saying, we've been trying to get a hold of you, you know, like, would you like to come in and interview for Post Bar? So I did, and Christine DeBerry, and, and that was to the person who interviewed me, she was um, the chief of uh, chief of staff to uh, George Cascone, and you know I was able to I don't know impress them enough or you know show them that I was an ideal candidate for their post bar program, and the rest is kind of history from there. Thankfully, the um, bar worked out for me that first time around. I did their volunteer attorney program for a couple of months until I got my first trial under my belt, which I actually lost. <laughs> but after I, but literally the day after I got my trial under my belt, they um, hired me as a full-time attorney. If a young person was thinking about a career choice, would you recommend the law? Absolutely, definitely. And I don't know, I, I would say because. There's so much that you can do with it. You know, there's, there are a few other careers that I can think of where you can directly make an impact in someone's life or situation in a meaningful way. Because, I mean, granted, not, not all laws are for everybody. Like not everybody can, you know, has what it takes to do criminal law, you know, but, but there's wills and trusts, there's corporate law, there's contract law, there's general counsel, there's even, even if you're not actively practicing law, the, it's a degree that no one can take from you unless you did something unethical that you shouldn't have been doing, you know, and there's just so much practical value that you can, that, that it adds, even if you're, even if you decide, you know, I, I don't want to do law, I want to do business later. Well, you know, it certainly doesn't look bad on your resume that you're also a lawyer too. How is actually yeah. practicing law either met or different from your expectations? I think it's met my expectations. I, again, I've, I've had that exposure, you know, my whole life to seeing what it means to be in the trenches of tough litigation with issues that are you know, really difficult and emotional for people to grapple over. I expected there to be a lot of, you know, a lot of work, some, a lot of emotional attachment, some tears, late nights, <laughs> you know, um, dedicated weekends. And that has been exactly what it's been about. Now, granted, over time, I've learned how to, you know, work with the demands of the profession so that I don't burn out, but it's it's exactly, you know, kind of what I was raised to know it was going to be and what it's shown itself to be. What do you think's the best advice you've ever received? It was my mother instilling in me, you know, you match your goals with your gifts. You know, you figure out, try to, you know, you figure out like, what are you, not just what you're good at, but what, what are you passionate about? What, what is your talent that you're, you know, bringing to the world and what can you do to match your ultimate pathway to, you know, bringing that to light? For me, I learned early that I have a voice, you know, and a fairly fearless one. And I have 
empathy that really just guides me. And so that was particularly impactful in guiding me towards the law in the beginning. Do you think the legal system is fair? I think that there are aspirations to make it fair, but, you know, because I think that really speaks to, you know, what is justice, right? Because when we think of justice, we think of the word fair. But what's considered fair for one side of the table may not necessarily feel fair for the other sides. I believe all of those purposes of the justice system are put in place to try to achieve some sense of fairness and justice. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times it doesn't it, it, it doesn't come out pretty. It, it doesn't come out with all sides feeling like they're winning. But I think that generally speaking, our system as a whole is, is striving towards a measure of fairness. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit, Courtney. How is practicing law fit into your personal or family life? <laughs> well, as a very single <laughs> gal with no children yet, it fits in it fits in um, quite well. You know, I think the biggest thing for me that I've had to learn over the years is to not, I don't know, overexploit myself, if you will, because I have time. I realize just for my own personal health and because this is an endurance game, this is a marathon. What sort of recreational pursuits do you enjoy? Well, I'm really into fitness. <laughs> I, I do really recognize the the connection between mind body and and spirit and so you know i'm i really i make it a point at least five days a week to do something that's very active before the pandemic i was really into power lifting my against my mother's <laughs> recommendations or her wishes power lifting um I'm running. I was um, hoping to train for a for a marathon, which would have been my first marathon, and I'm still hoping to get out there. And then yoga. You know, yoga is something, particularly in the pandemic, that I've really taken up a lot, and and more so. And I, ironically, because a lot of people think, oh, that's low impact. You're not doing anything. But ironically, I have found that the yoga that I've been doing has not only just elevated me in terms of fitness, but mentally you know like i the the level of focus the calm the being able to kind of work through the the uncomfortable the, the discomfort and the, the storm if you will i channel that with me in in court now you know because you'll be arguing you know a really tough motion heavily contested adversarial but knowing that you can center yourself and not be as reactive but rather be, you know, in control of how you choose to confront the situation. That's that's been great. I like to hike. I basically chase the sunshine, <laughs> like recreationally. I'm if you if it's sunny, you will see me at the lake. You'll see me at the beach. There, if there are any pickup volleyball games or soccer games or anything like that, you know, that's I try to stay engaged. Also, I'm I'm a big um, I'm big into the house music community. <laughs> In, in Oakland, you know, there's soulful, soulful house. You know, there's just a really beautiful community out there with great music, and I love to dance. How about travel? Have you been anyplace that you've found interesting? Yes. So I have, the l last year, I got up several different places. 
I made it to Maui twice, and that was beautiful. I went to Tulum last year. Where's which that? Is, Tulum is, if you haven't made it, you should, you should check it out. It's on the Caribbean side of mm. Mexico. And if you fly into the Cancun airport, you take about an hour and a half drive um, a little further south, and you are just met on, with this beautiful Caribbean beach. How do you define success? Hmm. You know, that is something that I really had to, I really did contemplate a lot over the past year. And I know that if I show up and I put everything out on the table and I give it my all and I can genuinely say that, that to me is success. You know, it's not about necessarily what the outcome was. It's the fact that I I showed up and I didn't phone it in. Um, we can't control the way the world's going to receive us. We can just control, you know, the effort that we put into what we do. Let's say you came into some real money in your life, three or four billion dollars. <laughs> what, if anything, would you do differently? Well, I know I would still work. Yeah, I would still work because I'm, I'm, I'm mission driven. That's, you certainly don't get into prosecution for the money, you know, so, you know, but, you know, I would... I would do more philanthropic work. You know, unfortunately, the way that where where I'm at right now, the phase that the phase that I'm in, you know, everything that I earn, it goes to bills, it goes to being a self-sustaining ship. And so, you know, the opportunity to, you know, give scholarships, donate to those who are less fortunate, make sure that my my family, you know, who don't you know, don't come from the same means that I necessarily did, you know, that they have prospect towards futures, that my, um, that all the, my nieces and nephews that they're, you know, taking care of in terms of their, their college and their, their, you know, their whatever career goals they have in that regard. And then that would extend out to the community as well. I, I definitely believe that you know, we have a duty to each other. We have a duty to look out for one another as as neighbors, as members of the community. And so I, it certainly would not be the case that you would see me sitting on my, you know, on the top of my mansion, sipping a pina colada, watching <laughs> the rest of the world, you know, go through their struggles. I, I would certainly find a way to have a a broader a broader platform for the things that I care about. Let's say you had a magic wand that was one thing in the world, the legal world or the world in general that you could change. What do you think that would be? To end racial and ethnic oppression and and subjugation. Because if you think about it, I mean, how most of the world's problems have been based off of that in one form or another, right? Whether we're talking about slavery or the Holocaust or the Armenian genocide or the many other, you know, genocides, the fact of, you know, the, the, the civil rights movement and the, and the incremental changes that we've been able to make, but the work that still needs to be done. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't discussed? Not that I can 
think of. I just, I, I think this is a really great platform. I was listening to some of the other, some of the other podcasts that you've had, and you know, just hearing other people's experience and comparing my own, and just listening to how folks got to where they are. It's been, it's been informative, and I um, hope that there are more opportunities to learn more about my colleagues and hopefully pathways towards partnerships and collaborations. So I, I really appreciate your thinking to have me on the show. Well, Courtney Burris, thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Hope they can do it again sometime. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and follow the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks to my guests and to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, Paul Roberts for social media, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. Knowing the necessity of putting in the time to be able to excel is obviously something that, you know, carries on that carries through through college, certainly through law school, through the tenacity and passing the bar exam, and then again, you know, becoming a trial attorney.